Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today's Thursday, February 28th, and we're talking XBO Logistics. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined in studio by MFAM Fund's Bill Barker. How's it going, Bill? Uh, it's, it's going well. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you as well. And you know, this week, we're answering a listener question uh, from our listener, Peter F. Smith. So he listened to way too many Motley Fool podcasts, has invested investing since he was a teenager. Uh, but he wants us to talk about XBO Logistics. He says it's a pick in one or more of the Motley Fool funds and ETFs. He just read their transcript from the last conference call and couldn't square what was said by management with the recent movement in the stock. Well, Bill Barker is from MFAM Funds and has been following XBO Logistics for a little while. Bill, before we dive into this company a little bit, you know, when I was talking to you last week as we were getting ready to record this episode, you had a very interesting story about how you came across this company. And it's just kind of indicative of how you, you always got to have your nose out uh, for opportunities. So, can you talk to us a little bit about how you first encountered XBO Logistics? Sure, I was at a uh, so I I spend most of my time uh, on the uh, funds that we have uh, and uh, MFAM funds. So back in 2012, I went to a conference in New York, uh, hosted by uh, Credit Suisse, I believe, and uh, their normal conference uh, mechanics are there a bunch of tracks where uh, you go into one room or another to listen to man management presentation, and I had a certain presentation that I wanted to hear in, in one of the four rooms. Uh, during the I don't know, let's call it the two thirty to three o'clock block, and then the three o'clock block, I didn't have anything that I was particularly uh, interested in seeing, so I just stayed in my seat for the next uh, next presentation, which was XPO Logistics, and it was just a series of letters and and a word logistics. I, I thought this couldn't couldn't possibly be interesting, but easier to just stay in my seat than go walk into a different room. Uh, and it turned out that they were giving a presentation. This is in 2012 on their plans for growth and Bradley Jacobs' history uh, in executing rollups in other industries and the attractiveness of doing it at the time, uh, strictly in truck brokerage and uh, the growth numbers through a rollup strategy that they were projecting seemed uh, hard to believe. Uh, and and I'll just say that uh, what they've done since then uh, is is far uh, bigger uh, a growth um, roll up strategy than they were presenting even back then. Sure, Bill. And for our listeners who may not be familiar with uh, what a roll up strategy is and what it entails, uh, can you just explain that in just a, a very general terms uh, for maybe someone who's who's new to that term? Sure. It's it's uh, the acquisition of. Uh, other businesses, either uh, what you might call a tuck-in business, which is a small piece to add to uh, a large piece uh, of what you've already got, or a major acquisition, uh, which is sort of transformative to the business. Uh, and at the time, um, you know, just to put some numbers around that, I think the company was doing, let's call it, 150 million uh, a year in revenue, and the plan was to grow to. Something billion um, over a, a period of time. Of course, they're a seventeen billion dollar revenue company today. Uh, that's uh, you know the growth of a hundred x roughly, and uh, that is uh, only achievable uh, in most businesses through acquiring other businesses rather than through purely organic growth, uh, which is for the most part organic growth is is more attractive. Um, growing your own business rather than paying up to acquire other businesses. And I'll just say that for the most part, 
um, I wouldn't recommend pursuing companies that have a roll-up strategy because it tends to lead to empire building. And um, while it can be rewarding to shareholders, more often it's not. Right, and and. and XPO Logistics, as you, as you mentioned, has been very aggressive with that strategy. The number I saw is between 2012, when you first kind of discovered the business, 2015, they acquired 17 U.S. and European businesses over that time. Uh, can you talk about the industry in which they operate? Obviously, with XPO Logistics, it's a trucking and logistics company. You mentioned the, uh, the uh, logistics brokerage services. Can you talk about the kind of businesses that XPO has been acquiring and, and their strategy in doing so over time? So... Back then, 2012, truck brokerage, what is that? That's basically being a middleman between uh, the trucker and the company that needs goods moved. And so, uh, if they don't have their own fleet, uh, which most companies do not have their own fleet, of course, if you're driving around, you'll see a you know a Pepsi uh, sign, a PepsiCo on a truck, or uh, any number of other major names which have the capacity to move their own goods. Uh, but most companies are using somebody else to move their goods. And so, trucking companies, there are several large players, but more often, it's a mom-and-pop kind of operation where you've got, uh, literally, uh, uh, you know, the, the pop is usually the, the truck driver and the mom is, is handling the side of the business on, on arranging um, some, of the, some of the work. And you know, you've got to keep your trucks full. You got to be out on the road. Uh, you you build up a little fleet, um, and maybe maybe five, ten trucks, something like that. That that can be a good business. But you've still got to have customers. And and XPO is uh, on the truck brokerage side, putting uh, truckers together with uh, you know merchants. Right, and and I I believe uh, at least they mentioned in their findings that the second largest freight. Uh, brokerage provider worldwide based on the value of freight under management. So, they've really grown significantly over time with these acquisitions. One of the areas in which XBO specializes, and I wanted to call out, is this idea of less than truckload transportation. Can you uh, just discuss for our listeners what the significance is of less than truckload transportation, how XBO is positioning themselves and offering those services, and what potential that has for some growth for the business over time? Sure. The the less than truckload is uh, so. All right. Let, let's use some round numbers. There's about uh, called uh, you know a trillion dollars of transport going on in the U.S. annually, uh, and about seven hundred billion of that is trucking. And the other, you've got air cargo, you've got you've got shipping, uh, you've got a few other ways to move things. Rail. Uh, trucking is about 700 billion. Of that, 700 billion, about 600 billion is going to be full truckload, uh, and about 60, sorry, about 40 billion annually is going to be less than truckload. And less than truckload is just the uh, mechanics. It's it's a truck that's picking up a bunch of different, uh, you know, cargoes along the way. And then bringing them to you know distribution center, and maybe that that cargo gets put on another truck. So, it's a logistics intensive industry, unlike truckload, which for the most part is uh, the the truckload is a full uh, truckload of one thing that's going in one place, and so that is the the larger part of 
how things are moved. But still, $40 billion annually is a, a good business to be in, and it's a little bit more uh, insulated from protection um, in terms of the, the logistics are just more complicated in, in moving something uh, with a number of different customers to a number of different places. A couple of years ago, uh, XPO did something that it had said it wasn't going to do, which was to get into this asset-intensive trucking business. And it bought uh, Conway, and this was an operation which had substantial revenues and substantial EBITDA, uh, but was not an especially well-run operation. And so, and then they acquired a, a, a European operation called Norbert uh, Dantrasang, and between those, they wound up with a lot of both less than trucking and trucking. What they did is they sold off the trucking, held on to the less than truckload uh, of Conway, uh, and so that offers them the opportunity to serve their customers with a lot of different operations. Uh, so the other things they do, intermodal is when you know a ship comes in and then you put it on rail. Uh, drayage is sort of moving things around within you know ship uh, off the, the shipping. And they've got the lesson truckload operation and the truck the truck brokerage. So they've got a lot of different ways that they can serve their customers. Right. And, and I think what is particularly uh, interesting to me and maybe attractive to look at this space right now is as e-commerce has emerged over time, uh, the complexity of, of logistics and moving things around has only increased as we you know, move small numbers of packages to individual homes versus large numbers uh, of, of at what might be full truckload shipments to, um, to maybe stores or, or things like that. So as the role of e-commerce grows in the economy, what opportunities does that provide for XPO Logistics? Is that the main driver uh, for their business over time? Or, or how should we think about uh, the shifting demand uh, for logistics and what role that might play in uh, XPO's business moving forward? Yeah, it's still rapidly growing. And the last mile challenge, uh, and they're, they're the leader uh, in last mile deliveries. And so that's getting that uh, package, not really package, they're, they're moving uh, heavy goods. On the last mile, so if you order a, a, a washer or dryer, needs to be installed in your house. There's a very good chance that XPO is going to be the one doing that, and that is high touch. You've got skilled labor that's involved, and it's it's very consequential to the purchaser whether it's done right and whether the right window is met and and all that. And so they're they're better. Uh, there are better profits to be uh, gained by doing that right than by just uh, moving parcels around. As, as good as the parcel business is for UPS and FedEx um, and the U.S. Postal Service, that is uh, a business that XPO is not going to get into. But the, the last mile heavy goods stuff is is growing because of the growing use of e-commerce. Uh, and it has been growing uh, very nicely for XPO, although as we'll get to, there's been a little hiccup in that. Yeah, and, and let's talk about that hiccup. A little bit of XBO's recent performance has maybe disappointed investors. If you look at the share price, it's down over 50% uh, since its highs back in October. You know, in, in the most recent earnings call, CEO Bradley Jacobs, right off the top of the call, said, quote, there's no other way to say it, we just missed the quarter. Uh, what happened in XBO's recent results that generated this sharp decline in share price, and, and how should uh, investors think about that? 
So XPO going into October uh, was uh, trading over $100 a share. And one of the reasons for that is that the company had not only put forward aggressive guidance uh, over the past five or six years uh, on its growth, and it's hitting certain metrics, uh, the company adjusted EBITDA numbers and things like that. I won't get too much into the accounting uh, details. Uh, uh, but having hit them consistently for five or six years, uh, then the third quarter earnings came out, and they missed their numbers because of a bankruptcy in Europe. And not only missed the number for the quarter, it was really one customer uh, prevented them from hitting the, the previous guidance, but they lowered their guidance for the fourth quarter. And so that was a new part of the story, which hit the stock fairly hard back then. Um, and then there was a short seller report that came out in December, but still, uh, you know, most mostly the stock had delivered on on the stories that it had, the guidance that it had provided. Then the fourth quarter numbers came in. A couple of things happened. One, there was weakness in uh, England, the UK, and France uh, as Europe has slowed down and as Brexit worries have impacted uh, there. So that was part of it, and a bigger part was that XPO's largest customer in the fourth quarter uh, pulled their postal injection business, and then a couple weeks later pulled another big chunk of their business. And so XPO had to radically uh, reduce their their guidance uh, for 2019. Right, and following up on that largest customer, you mentioned it was the postal injection business. Just for our listeners. Uh, postal injection is when a a large shipper will have a, have a large number of packages um, that maybe they have at a distribution center, and postal injection is taking those those unsorted packages from the distribu- distribution center and then taking them to the USPS and then injecting those into the USPS's logistics system. Um, USPS recently increased its postal rates, which may have played a role in this, uh, but there is some speculation about the identity of this customer. Um, uh, management said on the call this had been a $900 million customer, but has now reduced its uh, its spending to now become around a $300 million customer. When you talk about losing $600 million in revenue going forward, you think it is probably a very, very large uh, business that XPO is doing uh, doing business with. And there's been some rumors uh, that this company is Amazon. Uh, what thoughts do you have on the, this kind of rumor uh, on that who the identity of this customer might be? And uh, if it is Amazon, what are your thoughts on the idea of XBO losing this business moving forward? Yeah, I think I think the speculation that this is Amazon is is pretty much on par with sort of the speculation that in previous uh, filings, individual one might be Donald Trump, right. for instance. It's 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 not stated, but really there is no other possibility that that that, that can be, and so. Uh, Amazon has pulled approximately $600 million of their $900 million uh, of annual business. And the presumably, the reason they have not pulled the other 300 is that, not presumably, they have long-term contracts. So, where they didn't have long-term contracts, they're, they're out. And assuming, given the 99% probability that this is Amazon, why'd they do that? Well, they have been uh, staffing up for bringing logistics business in-house, and 
so this was not a shock. This was in, this was not a shock that this was going to happen or would very likely happen someday. The timing was a shock to the company. Uh, the postal injection business was pulled right uh, before Christmas. And uh, then uh, this other uh, deduction uh, in business was done right before the, the company announced its earnings. And why why might Amazon have done this? The speculation includes, and let's underline that this is speculation, a fairly high-profile hire uh, for XPO, their new COO, uh, had been at Amazon and was pretty pretty useful guy uh, at Amazon. Maybe this is retribution for that, uh, and I I can't say anything other than that speculation. And if if that's the case, then you don't look at this as having failed to serve a, a, a big and important customer in the right way uh, as much as. Having risked the you know uh, put uh, put the business at some risk that Amazon might do this by hiring away somebody and you know having now seen that risk uh, bear you know uh, come up into reality so I I don't know that I would excuse Amazon or, or XBO um, you know for the consequences of the action if if it was uh, predictable right and. and- it's worth saying this is this is concerning news. Amazon was a large customer for XBO, but XBO does have a large large number of other customers. Amazon uh, or that this individual customer, whoever it was, uh, I, I believe management said it was around five percent uh, of total total revenue. So uh, a large chunk, but not not uh, you know a, a double digit amount of of revenue that would be impacted over time. And, and management has still remained bullish. On the business's prospects moving forward, they just completed a one billion dollar share repurchase that they uh, put forward following the short seller report you mentioned a couple months ago. And uh, at the beginning of February, they just approved another one point five billion dollars in repurchases. So as you see, uh, Bill, management continuing to double down on repurchases uh, of the business in the face of what appears to be some troubles. Uh, how do you think about that as an investor or someone watching the company? So I have two thoughts. One, a lot of the uh, optimism in the company was so it, it, when it was going for over a hundred dollars a share uh, back in October. Not only were there good current numbers that the company had delivered on, but there was just uh, you know looking in the rearview mirror, this is a company that had grown at the pace that it had grown and was talking about making additional. Major acquisitions. In fact, they had uh, conducted a secondary uh, within the last uh, 12, 18 months. I can't remember when it was to have some money available for uh, a, an additional acquisition. And they were talking about making acquisition up into the six billion dollar mark. Well, that was a story that had attracted Wall Street's analysts and investors uh, consistently, pretty much over the last. Seven years, and now the company has really reeled that back in and said we're not going to be making any major acquisition. They had taken a pause on acquisitions as they looked for the right thing at the right price, uh, and now they are just buying back their shares with as much money as they can get their hands on, and they're taking out some debt to do that. Uh, they already had debt; they've been paying debt off for the last two years. Um, you don't grow 100x uh, without 
issuing shares or, or taking on debt, and they've done both, and they've had a bunch of secondaries. They've taken on a lot of debt. Now they're buying back shares. So there's a, a financial engineering, and if that sounds negative, I don't mean it to sound negative. They have taken advantage of a high stock price in the past by having secondaries. They've taken advantage of uh, cheap debt by issuing a lot of debt. Um, now they are, under their you know declaration, taking advantage of a low stock price, uh, and they have a pretty good track record for doing the right thing with shareholder capital. But uh, this is not this is not a strategy that does not come with some risk. Sure, yeah, de- definitely. Uh... Encouraging that management is still is still seeing value in their shares after the steep decline. Um, however, this sh- shift in strategy, you know, over what the business has been, you know, for the past five or so years, is something that we'll have to see uh, how things develop. Yeah, I think before. All right, so we've owned this company in a couple of our funds for seven years, and we saw it go. We were getting it back at, in the sort of sixteen dollars a share was back when we were. Buying it in 2012, and we've seen it uh, be cut in half once before, and that was in reaction to the acquisitions of Conway and Norbert Dantrasong, which made the company previously it was a very very asset light company, and that is very attractive uh, because they can take advantage of a good economy, hire more people, get on the phones, um, use technology to put. Uh, you know the the shippers and the uh, you know truckers together, um, but taking on the trucks, in in which they've done uh, with these two major acquisitions, uh, made them an asset, a mixed business, but far more asset heavy and far more cyclically uh, exposed. And so the change in strategy led to the stock being cut in half. It rebounded from that. Tripled again, uh, back to where it was in October. Now it's been cut in half again because, in part, one, they've failed to deliver on guidance. Uh, two, they've lost this major customer, and three, they've they've changed strategy from we're going to be a M and A king to we're going to buy back our own shares. And you've had a lot of I I would say Wall Street enthusiasm. Uh, around the story and the execution of the stock, in part one, cynically, could uh, say because they're a very good customer of Wall Street. They have had all these secondaries. They've had all these debt issuances. Uh, getting involved in, in M&A deals is good business for Wall Street, and they've been a good customer. Uh, and so, it, it, part of the short seller report that we talked about Mentioned that the you know or or accused Wall Street of just being in the bag for XBO and pumping up the stock price. Well, I think that XBO has delivered a pretty impressive story, but it is also true that uh, there are plenty of uh, Wall Street firms that want to do business with XBO. Right, definitely going to be an interesting story to to see as you know the strategy develops over time, and given that they have you know navigated through uh, such a strategy shift in the past. And been able to maintain momentum, definitely encouraging for a shareholder. You know, obviously these things can create some volatility in the near term. But as we as we look out as true long term shareholders at the trajectory of XPO moving forward, uh, is the thesis still intact uh, on, on what the value proposition that XPO brings to an investor? 
And uh, are you concerned about this kind of short-term volatility? Well, it depends on what your thesis is. If your thesis is, I believe that uh, management, uh, in this case, Bradley Jacobs, the CEO, uh, is a good allocator of capital and can see opportunities in terms of acquisitions and then uh, actually do the hard work of integrating these acquisitions in a way that most cannot. I think that's intact because he's still there. Some of the other management have left in the last 18 months. And so, if your thesis went beyond Bradley Jacobs, then you've got to identify whether the uh, CFO, they're looking for a new CFO, uh, they've brought in a new COO, uh, the chief strategy officer has also changed in the last uh, you know, nine months. So, I think that you have to determine what is your thesis. If your thesis is, uh, this is going to be a rapidly growing company, the thesis has changed. Uh, right now, it is uh, still growing, but it's not growing at anywhere near the pace that it was. And so, you've got probably um, in the market a bunch of growth investors getting out of the story and value investors looking at it right now, and it's certainly not deep value, but it's it's trading below at multiples below the the um, comp group. So I, I think that it has a mixed, you know, it, it, you have to compare it both against trucking companies and against uh, truck brokerage companies. So you have to do the do the work there. But I think it at today's prices, it's going to find some value investors. Yeah, definitely will be an interesting story to follow as the narratives around the company change, and as you mentioned, maybe the shareholder base of the company changes. You know, operating in this logistics industry, which as we as we mentioned earlier, uh, with the emergence of e-commerce, really is going to be a key cog in, in in that trend going forward. Definitely interesting company to watch in that space. Bill, thanks so much for coming on the show to talk about XBO a little bit, and uh, hope to have you on again soon. Well, thanks for having me. Awesome. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So, don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Bill Barker, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! <laughs>